0: Hi there. Welcome to Everything Accordion, a podcast about the musical box known around the world as the accordion. My name is Gennady Rotary, and I will be your host on the show. On this podcast, you will hear a bit about the instrument's history, the different types of instruments of its very extended family, stories from and about accordionists, stories about contemporary music and historical works of its repertoire discussions with colleagues from all over the world, interviews with prominent musicians, and much more. Today's episode will be in two parts. I had a really great talk with my guest. The entire material is almost one hour long, so I wouldn't want to overwhelm you, dear listeners. In this first part, we will be talking a bit about the upbringing of my guest, about his musical studies, and about some of the projects that he's working on. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, a friend of mine, Martina Slivitskis, an accordionist, an amazing musician from Lithuania, who I actually know since 2008, I think. Uh, he is, as I said, an amazing musician, but he's also a founder of many interesting projects such as a Chamber Ensemble, a Chamber Orchestra, also a Summer Academy. He is very active as a soloist, as a chamber musician, and it's my great pleasure to have him on the show. Martinez, how are you?
1: Hi, Gennady. It's really nice to be on your show, and thanks for the invitation. Thank you for taking your time and being
0: here today. Um, What I really love to ask guests on the show is, how did you start playing the accordion? When, when did it happen and when did you realize you wanted to do this as your career path?
1: Well I was three years old when it all started but it was never my intention to play the accordion I think because the first musical impression I had was when I saw someone on tv playing the piano so I simply started imitating um, the piano playing on the table that was the one we had the house and it was 1993. Lithuania just gained its independence Mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't really easy to just go and buy stuff even if you had money but my family wasn't really wealthy so uh, there was no money to to get Mm. a piano but the family really noticed this sort of attraction to music and connection to it even though it was just a table tapping but uh, yeah they they thought I should try something on some instrument and then my godfather found this uh, children accordion and he gave it to me I was still three and um, I started playing it just by myself wow <laughs> you know myself and actually I didn't have a teacher until I was eight so all this period between three and eight was a complete freedom, in a way, because my god, godfather used to say, oh, you have to play scales and, uh, you know, exercises. And I'm like, what scales? There's always this
0: one person that points out you should be doing scales and stuff. But, yeah, no. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, I knew how to, to do the Fa for C, but did that make sense for the sake, just for the sake of doing it? <laughs> no. So no, I really hate... All that uh, uh, part of um, my early musicianship, if I may say, when I had to do stuff, I'd rather sit in front of the mirror because later I had big Soviet accordions, maybe two of them, and they were, you know, up to my eyes, uh, covering the entire mm-hmm. body of mine. So I I had to sit in front of the mirror to see what's going on there. So that was more interesting to me, the exploration of the instrument and different instruments too. Yeah, so that was the beginning.
0: Great, yeah, and this spontaneity of actually wanting to do that, great. Um, Yeah, so then when was the moment that you decided, okay, I'm gonna be an accordionist?
1: Hmm. Well, at the age of eight, I started uh, going to the school. It wasn't that uh, simple as uh, clicking your fingers. I and my mother went to move from one town to another town. And that was the reason why we moved because there was the school where I was recommended to attend. And there was this amazing teacher, which supposedly was really suitable for me. So... Yeah my, my mother made this sacrifice which i think worked out really well for both of us because it was a bigger town and i guess more interesting life in there and uh, and definitely very good for me so mm-hmm. uh, all was set on a good on a good pathway and so at the age of 8 i started the school uh, it was really hard for me at the beginning because As a kid, knowing how to play the instrument, I didn't really want anybody to tell me now that, you know, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So first two years, I was obeying. I was always a kid that obeyed. I was never a rebel. But deep inside, I was happy with it. And uh, I wouldn't practice at home. It would be just you know, as minimal as possible. And I didn't want to know music theory, notation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it took a few years to kind of overcome the struggles. And then when it started being fun, I started thinking maybe that's the way uh, I should go because everyone loves what I'm doing. So, and Mm -hmm. me too, I love it. Uh, and by that time, I was about eleven or twelve, so um, that was that was the the point when I had to make a decision.
0: Do you remember what was that moment, or was it a, a, a piece, or you just woke up one day and you
1: said, you, you know, I actually like what I'm doing? Pretty soon, I started playing standing up, and it. It worked for me. Like, it wasn't a struggle. I liked playing standing up. And I remember um, my teacher gave me these two pieces, which are really famous from, from old times. So that was uh, Fossen Click Flack mm-hmm. and uh, um, Charles Maniante, Accordion Boogie. Okay. So for so classics. These two, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. From, from the old times, like for senior times. Um, these two were really my hits. Everywhere I went, I played them and I played them standing up and people would get crazy. This kid is, you know, small, playing fast and standing. It wasn't hard for me and I really enjoyed all that attention that I got from people, which was very sincere. And I have to say that even today, I do get this attention. It's not the same anymore and it's something to to think about for everyone i think because as a kid you get this sort of really pure love from people and then as a man or a woman mm, you get love but it is different <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah i guess the, um, the sort of appreciation changes with perhaps expectations when we grow older. It's just that, I don't know if it's we who expect something from ourselves or is it the audience that expects us or is it both? What do you think?
1: I, I think it is both because obviously one relates to whatever was there in the experience previously. And as a human, you always perhaps want more and more. But there is only a certain level of, you know, love and attention you get. But also as a kid, it is kind of spectacular to watch kids play very well and, you know, fast. And that makes it a really magical moment, like almost unbelievable. But when you look at the adults playing good, fast and well and musical, it's like this is how it's supposed to be. So that is the difference.
0: Yeah, I think it fascinates all of us when we see small kids, five, seven years old, that do stuff that you as a professional and as an adult, you watch these videos and like, how do they do that? How, how is that? It's impressive, it is. And Indeed. you know, yeah. So later you went, you did, I think, a choice of studies, which is quite unique. You went to the Royal Academy of Music in London. Um, If I'm not mistaken, you're the first and perhaps the only Lithuanian accordionist that graduated from the academy. Uh, Would you like to talk about that experience a bit?
1: Yeah, Mm, you are right. I am the first and still the only. (laughs) And I do like it. (laughs) It's like you have the privilege. Yes, uh, at least there. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the decision was in a way a little hectic because my entire life, let's say, was planned by someone else, which was my teacher. She is a great teacher, but sometimes I believe she might not realize that she doesn't have good boundaries to leave the person to make their own decision so i had decisions on my you know personal life and i had um, well they are not decisions but they they were imposed opinions let's say uh, quite hardly imposed and uh, at some point in my life i had a band you know this is boy's dream to have a band and sing and play and i i had the accordion in the band it wasn't just like some, hmm. Uh, American rock or something. No, it was a very nice fusion of things, a piano, bass, guitar, accordion and drums and two singers. And so we started doing stuff and all of a sudden it was not good. I could not do it because she wouldn't approve of it. So also with the future of me as an accordionist, there was some sort of imposed uh, decision that I should go on as everybody else who you know graduates and thinks of a music career to the Music Academy here in Vilnius. And I was quite happy with that idea. I, I was totally fine with it. But then every now and then I would have people say, Oh, you must go study abroad, because um, firstly, the Academy here isn't that good. Um, this is again, back in 2006, seven and eight, mm-hmm. this is the year when I graduated and uh, continued my studies elsewhere. So today perhaps it's different, but back then it wasn't as good. And, um, um, so people were encouraging me to try somewhere else and I, I was looking and of course I didn't have anyone to relate to because there wasn't nobody doing that. And, uh, especially... Uh, I'm thankful to my English teacher who used to be my um, class group curator in the other school previously before I entered the conservatory to graduate. Um, she said, let's look online, let's let's look together. And so we were going through Google and we found this Royal Academy of Music and that immediately clicked somehow in my head and... Uh, yeah, I, I I saw that I'm late for, for the application deadline. Uh, anyway, we still wrote an email and it was fine to, to submit the application. And so the process started. And um, it is a shame, though, that uh, the teacher, the accordion teacher, was in a way happy about it. But after I came back from uh, the entry examinations, auditions, and a month later, I got the answer that I'm, in i immediately noticed that you know i'm fading out from from here mm. not because of myself but it was really sure. like oh you you have your last four or five months but whatever just
0: yeah that's now, now that you mentioned about it actually i relate a lot to what you were saying previously about your teacher because now that you know you, you talked about it it was more or less but i don't know if it's because of soviet influence or whatever in our countries in the music schools especially but my teacher was also a bit authoritarian on what i should be doing with my life so no dating until a certain age you shouldn't be playing there you should be playing this you should contact this person that person do this audition and so on so yeah but somehow until I went to Finland and heard the play for two hours piazzola Forever. I actually never considered being an accordionist. So only when I saw the instrument as um, something else rather than a folks instrument that kind of accompanies the ensembles in our country. When I started seeing that it, it was capable of doing much more, I actually fell in love with the instrument but it was, uh, what, 14 years old? maybe 15 at that point. So yeah, that's the moment <laughs> something clicked in my head. Um, but yeah, I can also relate to the fact that you, you see what you start going away from your country, everything is just, you know, everything is going on its course and you're kind of going in another direction. And then you cannot, even if you come back, it's not as easy to fit back in. In your case, I think Lithuania is actually quite supportive of arts and, color, at least in my imagination, that's uh, <laughs> the way I see it. It's quite supportive of culture and um, supports the musicians, allows festivals and so on, not only of folk music, but also of classical music, while in Moldova, there are only maybe two or three festivals and the accordionists are all fighting for those two places a year and I'm pretty happy where I am in Central Europe where I can just you know do my activities, travel without restrictions. well before I used to travel without restrictions, um, now we're all in the same boat. So you graduated from, actually, do you remember when we we started chatting on Facebook? I think it was in 2008, around October, yes. November, something like that. And then we met, in 2013 for the first time. I came actually to to London. Yeah. Once I came and you weren't there because you were on some concert or meeting, I think, with the president of Lithuania, at least Owen Murray told me something like that. Um, <laughs> so you were being a diplomat at that time. And the next year I came for the entrance audition. We actually met for it. it was a very nice meeting finally seeing you after like what five years three years so you finished your studies your bachelor's degree in london and then you didn't continue your master's degree you went to spain is that correct i think you went to musicene to study with correct. Berde.
1: it doesn't lie in one uh, timeline well it is one timeline but it took me a few years to to do all that when i finished I entered the master's degree in academy, but I never started because I didn't have money. <laughs> and for the That's listeners who don't reason. know that and
0: London is an expensive city, and studying at the Royal Academy is even more expensive. So
1: it is very expensive. It is worth it. But the thing is, after four years, you know, I had my founding, I could support myself somehow but it used to be mostly teaching jobs Mm -hmm. and while i love teaching but i realized that i still want to study myself you know and in the last years of the academy i had to do teaching more than i had time to study myself so this didn't feel correct to me and uh, so i thought perhaps i just well, to be honest, I th- I thought it's impossible to gather 8,000 pounds, which were missing from my tuition fee. Uh, and then I also got the scholarship from Academy, which was 2,000. Uh, so it was really, really small. And it doesn't even encourage you to somehow dream of it being possible. So, yeah, here the story with the Royal Academy finished and... Uh, Another beautiful story started because I met a producer, an artist manager in London who wanted to make an accordion music album and so I happened to be there and we started collaborating and very soon, a year later, we had the album out on Decca and it became very popular. I started traveling around the world. So this was a big start for me and so the, the studies had to wait a little bit and only in mm-hmm. 2015 I, I started with Inyaki.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, something I didn't mention introducing you is the fact that you're the first accordionist also to record for Decca, which is a great accomplishment. And um, yeah, I remember your CD skyrocketed in the top charts not only in UK, but I think all over the place as the accordion CD to listen to, if you would like to kind of approach the instrument, if you don't know it, because there's still uh, some, it's less, but there's still some stereotypes about accordionists and accordions actually being for old folks and, you know, playing folk tunes and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're also somebody who founded many initiatives, such as Composers Plus Summer Academy, which I thought is a really great initiative also to promote the music and to inform, I don't want to use the word educate, inform composers about the potential and the sound capacity of the instrument itself. Uh, How did you come by this idea?
1: This idea, I think, started accumulating in London because uh, with Professor Owen Murray at the Royal Academy of Music, we had a very strong relationship between the accordion department and composition department. And with all the legacy that comes from his own teacher, Morgan Seligard, it was quite clear to me that everyone needs to do something towards the identity of the instrument. So with all that sort of training, let's say, which we used to have two times a year with the young composer, we would be in a pair working together and collaborating. And it used to be fun, really. I thought that this kind of format could go a little bigger and uh, international and maybe taking a platform here in Lithuania. And so, yeah. Very soon after I graduated, I think already in 2014, I I made the first Composers Academy, which back then was called differently, but it was the same event. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it started, starting point, the seed was Morgan Seligard, his legacy, Owen Murray, my professor who, you know, invested so much in all of us, um, in regards to knowledge, repertoire, instrument identity, technicalities, mechanics, and uh, concert practices. Um, I thought, yeah, let's, let's go and do something like that. So yeah, the first one was four days, four composers, four accordionists, very low key. <laughs> uh, but then it, it grew quite rapidly into a real international event. And the last one we did in 2019, and I just must be honest here, Uh, last year it didn't happen, not because of the pandemic, actually, it was my plan to to deposit a little bit because it's interesting, you, uh, Gennady, you say inform, um, and I really like this word because uh, even though it is the academy, it was never, uh, constructed to be uh, like a school or a teaching uh, platform yes we have tutors and yes we aim to inform or as I like to say introduce people with the instrument and uh, the last few events we had they were taking 10 days so it's a long time uh, long enough to really fall in love with the the accordion and while I was really happy with uh, the outcomes something uh, still bothers me about this event that you know I as a visioneer I initiated it in order to have some outcome and result and to me that result materializes in pieces for accordion Mm -hmm and chamber settings, because we uh, we always do accordion solo and accordion with something. Usually it's like a string quartet, but we had also tuba, clarinet, uh, flute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think every year I would leave the academy, I would close it thinking another year of great experiences, great explorations, people falling in love, Uh, with the instrument and with each other they keep the contact they keep uh, the collaboration going on later on which makes me really happy that is uh, really one of the main objectives of the academy but in my understanding the outcome wasn't there Uh, Mm -hmm. so pieces that would get composed you know they I I really want them to live sure and Mm -hmm. unfortunately most of them are being printed by my company, and then we send them out. But somehow the living process of the piece ends up by that point. Something to think about and something to elaborate in my mind and with my team, and maybe, you know, everyone else in the community, if they have suggestions or ideas, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. open and welcome.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting as a reflection also because I, I, I don't know if you took part in some of the academies like Darmstadt or Impulse Academy in Graz um, there were some workshops like that the last one I did was in 2017 yeah in Graz at the Impulse Academy it's also an academy of two weeks but it's for all instruments with tutors, instrumentalists from ensembles, such as Klangforum Wien, Ensemble Modern, and so on. And my professor at the time, Krasimir Sterev, who is the accordionist of Klangforum Wien, as well as uh, a guest performer with Ensemble Music Fabrik. he was the tutor for accordion. And he decided to do a project similar to yours, where we had, we were seven accordionists and there were... 14 composers chosen to write pieces of three to five minutes in 10 days, and then to present these pieces. And Rebecca Saunders was the tutor for composers uh, at this course. And similar thing happened because you had these small miniature pieces, which many composers wanted to elaborate afterwards, but didn't have the motivation to go onwards and it was just performed there and it stopped there. I tried to, it's called insist, (laughs) quote unquote, with some composers to finish or even to send in it as a miniature to do a collection of these pieces and maybe why not also publish them? Because some of them are really great standalone projects, in my opinion, we've also initiated this project on Instagram and YouTube, The Quarantine Diaries. It was last year that I started it. Also one minute pieces, later it expanded to three minutes, more or less, of composers writing a sort of aphorism on their view of the pandemic and the society in general. And I would really love some of them to go on. And, you know, accordionists might want to perform them as a suite, or maybe as again standalone pieces that would be really amazing, and yeah, I asked some some of the composers in which I trust, and, and I know that they'll write pieces which you know will then later be performed uh, by some someone else, hopefully again. But yeah, it's something that we always need to consider. Perhaps also because the, the new compositions and the new pieces, they take time to get assimilated by a say, category of instrumentalists, by a accordionist in this case. So if you have a great piece, it will take at least five years until it starts, you know, being performed more often, unless you are being the promoter of that particular work and you present it in concerts, 10 concerts, 15, yeah, but it's not always possible. So you gave me something to think about here.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you gave me something to think about uh, just what, uh, what you said about, um, I think it does, the responsibility goes on the shoulders of the instrumentalists to, you know, keep that active relationship with the composer uh first of all but secondly and maybe more importantly is to to keep the piece going so i think also in my own cases whenever i had uh, premieres of works that were composed for my instrument and me i would try to keep it in the repertoire and suggest but it is quite hard because not only usually the name of the composer is not known but uh, also the the musical language is something that promoters festivals unless it is a contemporary music festival you know they they do tend to to fear a little and i even had things like you know gubaidulina wasn't a choice when that name is a grand grand name And when you think it is not that contemporary anymore, it's been around uh, for, what, like 40, 50 years now.
0: Yeah, more than 40 years. And it's still seen as avant-garde music that's difficult to understand, the language is complicated. And
1: yeah. So I understand it's still new, but uh, the problem is is deep (laughs) about it. It
0: is. And it takes, I mean, it's, it's a very multifaceted problem because it's not only the composer, the performer, but it's also the one who books the performer for a performance and how much you believe in the piece. Because to be completely honest, there are some pieces which we as musicians play because we're paid to do that but many times it's not a piece that you would bring afterwards to a different concert so you play it there because you were required to play it there happened to me that they performed the piece and when i said okay this is the first and the last performance i'm going to do this piece somebody else wants it then yeah fine but i will not be performing that piece again
1: yeah and if to elaborate even more on this I agree. The problem is multifaceted. Perfect term for it, really, and it does involve all the factors that you said: the promoter, the um, performer, and the author of music. But then, generally thinking about repertoire of the modern accordion, uh, we do have a problem here because the instrument is young, and we obviously we can play transcriptions. I don't like to call them transcriptions, but we can play Bach and we can play music that is harmonious. <laughs> but most of our stuff that is being composed specifically for accordion is is horrific in terms of harmony, in terms of rhythm, in terms of melody. And um, that, I think, is wrong. And the whole fear of having melody, of having rhythm and harmony is is not helping the instrument because yes, we do need um, extremes. We need to showcase the instrument uh, technicalities and I'm all the way in for for doing that and I support and uh, advocate for contemporary music, the, the one that, you know, is, let's say, experimental and edgy, but then why not harmony? Why not? We need that.
0: You know, I think that the time of exploration of the sound capacities of the accordion has passed, like, say, 10 years ago, maybe, maybe a bit more. In my opinion, everything that had to be explored with the technicalities and the possibilities of the instrument actually being used in a certain way was already there. But now, if you want to experiment with something, like for example, some of our colleagues are doing with quarter tone accordions or sometimes maybe prepared accordions or other than that, I think trying to compose again with clusters, with bellows shake, with ricochet, with pitch bendings and so on. It has been done so many times before. It just, you know, when when I do presentations of the instruments to composers, I did also some online, I usually like to point out that the accordion can actually sound normally and play normal notes too. It's not only the bellows shakes, the click noises, and, and so on. So I think for me, yeah. it's easier to kind of hide behind that because it's kind of cool to, to write with, say, extended techniques. But then at the core of a piece, I don't mind using these extended techniques, but we have we need a why. Why is it there? Is it there just because you think it's cool to have it, and that's that makes the piece contemporary or avant-garde, or is it functional to the entire idea of the work? I think yeah. that's 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 the question to ask yourself. And if I mean because you or me or whoever, we can compose a, a contemporary music piece, let's go like that, with clusters. And it will sound really great because we know our instrument. But it's not, it, it, I wouldn't have a solid idea behind that. So to say, I started from here, I wanted to do this. And here's the result.
1: Yeah. Um... And that's exactly what uh, I used to tell to everyone at the Composers Plus Summer Academy, that please think about material rather than effects and the extended techniques, because these are really exciting for you, especially because you hear it for the first time and you think, oh, wow, I'm going to be using this all over. But it has to have the reason, of of course, I agree with you. And it has to be within the material, first of all. And as you just pointed out, we do have so much repertoire that has all of that used already. So, yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure that sometimes you just receive you as well as many others receive a piece and you can play it straight away. Simply because the techniques are very, you know, how it works and how it, you can side read the work. Yeah. So it happens. Unfortunately, composers, if you're listening, please, 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 the accordion can also sound normally, can play melodies, and you can stick in some extended technique as well. <laughs> After the grilling of today's composers, we will stop here with this first part of the episode. Don't forget to join in next week to listen to the second part of this episode in which we will talk about other projects that Martinez is working on. Thank you for listening to Everything Accordion. Tune in in two weeks' time for another episode of the podcast. Future episodes will feature information about the different types of accordions, how they work, curiosities, as well as many prominent colleagues who will talk about their experiences, their projects, and their view on the accordion in the past, today, and in the future. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends, colleagues, and on social media. If you would like to support the show, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of the episode, and it will direct you to my Patreon channel, where you can become a cool, awesome, or VIP-level patron. Or you can donate whichever amount you would like in exchange for exclusive content, polls, behind the scenes moments, music, concerts, and much more.